Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Grab your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. Church, in the first nine chapters, we've seen, uh, we've seen a little bit about Matthew's writing style. Uh, Matthew's not chronological. He's, he's not writing a journal of Jesus. Uh, he's not writing day one, day two, day three. No, he's, he's writing thematically. Okay, he's, he's writing in these buckets. He, he's taking the, these big ideas, these big concepts, piling them up, piling them up. They've been organized into chapters. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew is, is showing us the, the teaching, the preaching of Jesus. He, he's piling this together in these three chapters, and the crowds are astonished. They are amazed by the authority of Jesus as he's teaching the truth. Who is this Jesus? Matthew chapter eight and nine, last week, here, Matthew is piling up the, the healing, the compassion, the love of Jesus. And again, we, we see his authority, authority to heal the sick, the lepers, the paralyzed, authority to heal the demon-possessed, authority to heal storms, to silence, to stop storms, authority, the audacity to heal sins. The authority to heal a woman with a 12-year illness, to heal, heal a 12-year-old girl who is dead, raising her back to life. The authority to heal the blind, the mute. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? The crowds are astonished. The crowds are amazed and watching Jesus. Look at the very end of chapter 9. We're going to get a running start into chapter 10. The end of verse, uh, verse 35 Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, there's around 200 cities in this region, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's, he's teaching, he's preaching, and healing every disease and every affliction. Okay, this is a summary statement. We've seen this before in Matthew. This is a summary of Jesus and his ministry of, of teaching, of preaching, and healing and every time Matthew writes this summary, Matthew's about to, to change gears. He's about to transition and introduce a, a new concept, a new idea. This is kind of a hint in the text that something new is about to come. Verse 36, and when, he, when Jesus saw the crowds, I mean these massive crowds, thousands of people, when he sees the size, when he sees their suffering, says he has compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, seeing these thousands of people, Jesus prays for, for more. He, he prays for more laborers, people who will go out to help these crowds Think about this. this, this is an interesting word, laborers. Jesus is praying for, for hardworking, 
Like, like, like people who are, are used to standing out and working in the sun all day, who are standing on their feet all day long, sweat soaking through their shirt, people just going through the grind day after day after day, people with grit, laborers. We're gonna see these kinds of people here in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse one, and he and Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. See, for the 12 disciples, this is the moment that everything changes. Up until this point, they've been following Jesus, they've been watching Jesus do his thing, but, but now Jesus is, he's calling them up. He's transferring his authority to them and he's, he's sending them out to the crowds. This, this word called, uh, this is a military word. Uh, this is a, a military, a high-ranking commander and a high-ranking officer as he gives marching orders to his soldiers. A commander, he's, he's not asking for a favor. He, he's not asking for a, a request. He's not asking if, if you have the time, if, if you are available, if you want to. No, no, he is giving an order. These are demands. These are expectations. Here Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples, and I would say he's sending us out with these same expectations, these same demands. You wanna follow me? You wanna be my disciple? Listen, this is what you can expect. Here's my marching orders. And he can do this because he's the one with authority. We saw the authority in his teaching, his preaching, the authority in his, his healing, and now he is commissioning, he is sending out his disciples with his authority, verse two. The names of the 12 apostles are these. Matthew puts together a two by two, he pairs the names together. First Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, a James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, a Philip and Bartholomew, and Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the same Matthew who wrote this, like, like Matthew was there. He, he heard these words. He heard these orders from Jesus. He is, he is an eyewitness. This is firsthand original source. Matthew, the tax collector, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. As a pastor of small groups, I, I feel like I've got a decent handle on like group dynamics, on, on understanding of putting people together in groups. You look at this group on paper, this is trouble. Like, like Peter, Peter's an optimist. Thomas is a pessimist. Judas or Simon the, the Iscariot, uh, Simon the, the Zealot, Zealot means that was a nickname for him, him he, was, he was Zealot, he, was, he passionately hated the Roman government, he wanted to overthrow the Roman government, he hated the tax system, and then there's Matthew, the former tax collector who worked for the Roman government. You've got James and John, their nicknames are Sons of Thunder. Like, this, this, is, this is quite the crowd. Jesus prayed for laborers, like, like these people with, with grit, not well-behaved, not polite. Let's just say if these guys are students, like they're not the ones sitting in the front row. He, he's praying for laborers. Let's keep going. Among these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, 
Okay, so don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to the Jews and proclaim and, and, and preach as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, three times, there's, there's a key word in this text. Did you hear it? Go, right? Go. Verse eight, go and, and heal the sick. Heal people with diseases. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. This is the spiritually dirty, the cut off. They have been cut off from the temple, cut off from community, banished to the outskirts of town, and cast out demons. You received without paying, so give without pay. Hey, order number one, Jesus is telling his disciples, go to the needy people, like, like the non-churchy people. Go to the lost, the diseased, the dying, the dirty, the demon-possessed. See, I, I think for us, like, like these people, like this, this pushes us way outside of our comfort zone. I think for the disciples, like this is right up their alley. Like this is their kind of people. And Jesus is sending them out. Go to the people who are messy, the people who, who the world cares nothing about, the people who the world has forgotten. And when you go, take nothing with you. Look at verse nine, nothing with you. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. Don't receive cash, don't take cash. Take nothing with you. No bag for your journey. Like not even extra clothes or two tunics. A tunic, it could be one of two things. A tunic, it could be a, an extra layer, like, like an outer layer, like a coat that you wear over your clothes. A tunic could also be a thin material, like, a, like an inner layer that you wear underneath your clothes. You see what Jesus is saying is just, just go. You don't need extra clothes. You don't need to go grab a coat. You don't even need to ex- pack an extra pair of underwear. Just go, I'm sending you out or sandals, or a staff. Why? For the laborer deserves his food. Okay, I've got like, I've got 10 reasons why I'm not signing up, why I'm not going on this trip. Go to the diseased, the dying, the dirty, the demon-possessed. You're not gonna get paid. You can't bring any extra money with you. Can't pack clothes, not even extra pair of underwear no sandals, or a staff. If Jesus is like promoting the first missions trip ever, like, he's not doing a very good job. He, he needs to work on his, his messaging, maybe his branding, like he needs a slideshow, he needs some pictures, right? Like, he needs to tell some stories. No, he's the one with the authority. And he's telling them to go. Hey, have we ever made excuses? Excuses to to not go. Excuses to not go to the messy, to the needy, to the hurt. I mean, I, I just I just don't know if I'm the right kind of person. Like I I just don't know really what to what to do, what what to say. Like, man, that's so outside of my comfort zone. Like it's just it's not good timing. T- today is not good timing. Hey, let me think about it. Let me, let me just go and think about it for a little bit or, or let, me, let me go pray about it. Jesus already has. He's already prayed about it and he says go. Look at verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy 
who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. See, a worthy person is someone who's open, who's receptive, who, who welcomes the gospel. But not every house, not every house is a worthy house. Not every door will be open. Some doors will be slammed in your face. Church, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and they just, they just blew you off and they just shot you down, ignored you, belittled you, didn't listen? Just feels like that door is just being slammed shut in your face? Did you know the, the world, eight billion people, there, there's a broad round numbers estimate that about one third is Christian. That means two thirds is non-Christian. There are more non-Christian than Christian. There are more unworthy people than worthy. There are more closed doors, doors slamming shut in your face than open doors who are open and receptive to the gospel. Look at verse 14. And if anyone will not listen, anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. It's kind of random, kind of strange for us, but going back to the Old Testament, the prophets, when the prophets came to a town and they preached the message of repentance, if, if the town did not listen to them, did not receive them, the prophets would leave the town. The prophets would go to the, to the outside, to the edge of the town. They would stomp their feet. They would shake off the dust and they would move on as a sign of judgment. Judgment is coming. Verse 15, for truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, when, when he was about to rain down fury on this city and destroyed it, there was a man named Lot and his wife, and he told them to, to flee, to leave the town, and he gave them one command, one order, when you're fleeing, when you're leaving the town, he said, don't look back. So Lot and, and his wife, they are leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, they are leaving that town. Genesis 19, if you know the story, what happens? Lot's wife, what does she do? She looks back and poof, pillar of salt. See, Matthew 10, the, the gospel is going out. Jesus is commissioning. He's giving these marching orders, sending out his disciples to the lost, to the needy, and he's telling them, if a door is slammed shut in your face, if you come across an unworthy house, dust it off. Just shake it off. Move on to the next house. Move on to the next door. Move on to the next town. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah, don't look back. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't, don't look back. The gospel is always moving forward. It's always going in one direction. Right now, this is really subtle, but he's gonna build this idea here through the text. Order number one, go to needy people. Order number two, go to dangerous places where people want to bite you and beat you and bully you. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, behold, I am sending you. Okay, Jesus is sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wolves and sheep. Like I thought we were supposed to stay away from wolves. Like when I was a kid, I must have missed this Sunday school class. I didn't get this coloring page. Church, Jesus wants to send you to dangerous places. He wants to send you outside of your comfort zone where it is not safe. Church, if you want a a comfortable life, a cautious life, a carefree and, and cozy life, stay away from Jesus. He wants to send you to dangerous places. He wants to send you to dangerous people. Verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Wolves bite people, men beat people, beat you, they flog you in their synagogues. Verse 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings, right, governors and kings, people in positions of power, people who are bigger than you, can bully you. You will be dragged before governors and kings, before bullies for my sake, for the sake of Jesus. Why? To bear witness, to give your testimony, to share your story, to defend the gospel, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Why do men and women do this? Why do men and women go to dangerous places, dangerous people? Why do they do this? See, I think it's just like the disciples, that they have seen Jesus. They have encountered and experienced Jesus. They have been amazed and astonished by him. That has been their conviction. That becomes their motivation. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna share. I don't care what it costs. I will risk my reputation, my name, my life. If it costs me everything, I'm gonna go. Can you imagine in countries like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, where it is illegal to talk about Jesus? It is against the law to talk about Jesus. In those same countries, more people are hearing the gospel for the very first time in the courtroom, not the street. Laborers, people with grit, people who don't give up, people who aren't, aren't looking back, aren't turning around, the gospel's going one way. Church, we need to be praying for these kinds of countries. Praying for laborers who are sharing the gospel, defending the gospel when their life is on the line. Verse 19, and when, not if. Matthew doesn't say if. When they deliver you over Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus is teaching discipleship 101. Hey, go to the lost, go to the needy, go to the messy, go to the non-churchy, take nothing with you. I'll provide for you. Hey, trust me, go go to dangerous places, go to dangerous people. When you get in trouble, when you get in over your head, hey, my presence will be with you. Like, Like my spirit will speak through you. 
Right now we're at verse 21. And, and I so wish it would turn the corner and, and, and start to get a little bit lighter. I, I wish it would get a little bit easier. It doesn't. See, Matthew is piling it up. He is building this bucket, building out this theme. You want to follow me? You want to be a disciple? Hey, here's what you can expect. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You'll be betrayed. Because of Jesus, your own family won't get you they won't understand you. This is going to cause conflict. This is going to create issues and problems. Your family might even turn on you. They might walk away from you. They might betray you. Division, despise you. Death. Church, this is happening today. In closed countries, more Christians more Christians are dying at the hands of their own family than the government. Their own family is turning them in, flesh and blood, betraying them, killing them. This is really happening. Church, I know there's some people here in this room who've been betrayed by family for following Jesus. Family who has walked away, family who won't talk to you, who won't treat you the same because of Jesus. Don't think for a second you're doing something wrong. Jesus said this is going to happen. Your own family, your own flesh and blood. Jesus knows what's coming. Verse 22, you'll be betrayed and you will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one, see that? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Underline that, highlight that, write that one down. door slams shut in your face. You will be bitten by wolves, beaten up by men, bullied, betrayed, hated. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23, and when they persecute you, not if, not maybe, not possibly, when they persecute you in one town, what do you do? Flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. When they persecute, persecute you in one town, flee to the next. See, see, don't look back. There's an urgency behind the gospel. The world is dying and going to hell more unchristian than Christian. Hey, move on. If the door slams shut in your face, if they hate you, beat you, bite you, persecute you, betray you, move on. Go to the next town. Go to the next door. Go to the next person. Keep sharing the gospel. The gospel always moves forward. Don't look back. Don't look behind you. Don't look in the rear view mirror. Keep going. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher. 
We are not above our teacher, nor a servant above his master. We are not above our master. It is enough. Church, Jesus is enough. You want to follow Jesus, expect opposition. You want to be a disciple of Jesus, expect for the world to treat you the same way that it treated Jesus. We're not above him. And Jesus is enough. See, that's the reason. That's the why. That's the motivation. That's what makes people do things like this, being willing to risk their neck for the sake of the gospel, to put their life, their reputation, all that they have on the line for the sake of the gospel, because Jesus is enough. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house, if they called Jesus a Beelzebul, this is a word referring to Satan, if the world called Jesus Satan, how much more will they malign? How much more will they attack those of his household? <laughs> Matthew's just piling it up, isn't he? Can't we just go back to the, the miracles and the healings and the compassion and the love? I mean, even the teaching. Who has the authority to say this? Who has the authority to, to command this? To tell us what to do? How we should live? Who has this kind of authority? 15,000 feet, let's step back here. What, what, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is pulling his disciples together. He's about to send them out. He's commissioning them. He's gonna send them out. And he's giving them their marching orders. But what actually happened? Hey, the next time we see the disciples is in chapter 12. Flip ahead. Chapter 12, verse 1. What do we see? What actually happened? The next time we see disciples, chapter 12, verse 1, it says they're walking through the field, laborers, right? And what does it say? They are hungry. They're hungry. Mark, chapter 6 same context. Jesus pulls the 12 together. He's giving them their orders, pairing them up two by two, and then he sends them out. And it says when the disciples came back, they gave their report, and they were hungry, and they were tired. Luke, chapter 10, same context. Jesus is pulling the disciples together, giving them the same marching orders. He sends them out, and they come back five verses later, and it says that they were filled with joy because they saw the authority that, that Jesus has over demons. What actually happened? They came back, they were hungry, they were tired, and they were filled with joy. That sounds like every missions trip I've ever been on. So what actually happened? Were doors slammed shut in their face? Were they bitten, beaten, bullied? Betrayed, hated, persecuted? Not yet. See, we read Matthew 10, we read this as narrative. We, we read this and, and, and kind of imagine, man, this must be like a really bad three-day weekend. This must be the worst missions trip ever. But Jesus isn't preparing his disciples for next week. 
He's setting them up, preparing them for the rest of their lives. Do these things happen? Yeah. Years later, the book of Acts. They are drugged into the courts. They are persecuted, beaten, betrayed, ran out of towns for the sake of the gospel. Does this stuff happen? Yes. Is it happening next week? No. See, Matthew is foreshadowing. He's foreshadowing. He's he's piling up. He's building this theme, building this bucket. You want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? Hey, this is what you can expect over your lifetime. Church, we have to read it like that. We, We can't read it as we're going into all of this, that this now becomes our expectation, our assignments for this week. No, it's not how it was written. That's not the authorial intent. But Matthew does want us to know. Jesus does want us to know. Hey, you're following me? You're signing up to be my disciple? Expect this. This is coming. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But over the course of your lifetime, this is coming. See, Jesus is taking the long-range view of life. Take nothing with you. I'll provide for you. When you get into trouble, my presence will be with you. Hey, I'm preparing you. I am setting you up now. Why? (laughs) Because he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is taking the long-range view of your life. See, he wants laborers, right? Laborers who don't go home early, who don't call it in, who don't quit, who don't give up. He wants laborers who endure, who persevere, Don't give up. We've already seen this in Matthew chapter eight. Let's get back a couple. Matthew chapter eight, verse uh, verse 19. Matthew's already hinted, he's already kind of slid this this idea in, and now he's coming back to it here in chapter 10, building it up and piling it up. Matthew eight, verse 19. And a scribe, uh, another teacher, uh, came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? I'm homeless. I've got no earthly possessions. I've got no belongings in my name. You want to choose this life? You got to give it all up. There's there's no going back from this. Verse 21, another of the disciples, not some random person, not some person who just met him. Another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, no. See, we read this and this seems so harsh, but what Jesus is saying is is follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Like like following me, like no exceptions. There's no turning back. There's, There's no looking around. No looking over your shoulder, even in extremely hard situations, in tough circumstances, follow me. There's no looking back. There's no turning around. The gospel is always going forward. Go to the needy. Go to dangerous places. Order number three, do not fear. Look at verse 26, Matthew 10, verse 26. Do not fear. So have no fear of them, For nothing that is covered will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. But what I tell you in the dark, stay in the light. And what you hear whispered, 
proclaim on the rooftops and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Three times, did you hear it? What's the key word? Fear. See, fear will tempt you to to hide the gospel, to, to muzzle the gospel, to silence the gospel. And Jesus says, shout it from the rooftops. Get up on your house, on your roof, and tell your neighbors, everyone walking by, as loud as you can for everyone to hear. See, fear will tempt you to to worry. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to treat me? What's my reputation? Fear will tempt you to worry about people who might harm you or hurt you or, or even kill you. And Jesus is like, don't fear man. Fear God. See, as Christians, the fear of man is crippling. It is. It's crippling. When we make the opinion of others big, we're just making God small. God's opinion of you is the only opinion that matters. We can't think more highly of others than we do of the Lord. Don't worry about what others think. Man, I know that's easy to say. I mean, I struggle with the fear of man. I get it. Don't deny him. Don't look back. Don't reject him. Don't, don't turn around, become quiet of him. No, fear will tempt you, but I love this. The Father will take care of you. He, he, God rules sovereignly. He knows you completely, and he loves you deeply. Look at this, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. God rules sovereignly. And all of us who grew up with a Red Ryder BB gun are feeling a little bit guilty right now for shooting sparrows. Not a one of them will fall that God doesn't know about. See, sparrows were considered the most insignificant, the most worthless creatures. Like, like nobody cares about sparrows. Even today, it was so cold this week, nobody's going out to save the sparrows. There's no save the sparrows club. Nobody cares. They're worthless. They're insignificant creatures. During the Bible, there was one sparrow that would be sold for one penny, and they would throw in a second, buy one, get one free, because there's, there's no value to them. The penny, the, just like today, the lowest common currency. Nobody cares about sparrows. A bowl of sparrow soup, this is like the cheapest meal you could buy. Most insignificant creature, but God But God knows. Not a single sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. See, God rules sovereignly. He's in control. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And he knows you completely. Look at verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. That's awesome. Like like not just the total numbers of hair, but each, each hair. Each individual single strand of hair has a number. Some people have more hair than others. Not fair. Google says the average person has 100,000 hairs on their head. I don't know how it knows that. It says blondes have 150,000 hairs on their head. Way to go. 
And God has a number for every single strand of hair times eight billion people here on this planet. How does God know that? Because he's God. God is sovereign over the most worthless creatures. He knows you down to the tiniest detail of your life. Verse 31, fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Good. (laughs) We have more value than sparrows. How many? I don't know. Many sparrows. The Lord sees us as more valuable than sparrows, and if he sees every sparrow that falls, he sees us. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But... But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. See, the easy thing to do when we're confronted for our faith and following Jesus, the easy thing to do is deny him, turn on him, reject him. Jesus is saying, don't. Don't. Don't give in. Don't look back. Don't turn around. Don't deny him. Don't doubt his sovereignty. Don't doubt that he knows you down to the tiniest detail. Don't doubt his love, his value for you. Don't turn away. Don't deny him. Order number four. This is the last order. Hey, disciples, don't think it'll be easy. Hopefully by now, nobody's thinking the Christian life is gonna be easy. Verse 34, don't think I have come to bring peace to the earth, for I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set man against his father, and daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Man, this is heavy, isn't it? Matthew's piling it up. He's not saying don't love your family. He's not saying that. He's saying don't love your family more than you love me. See, Jesus is jealous for our love. No exceptions. He doesn't want you to love others, love your family, your own children, more than you love him. Hey, parents, I think the most loving thing you can do is is show your children how you spoil Jesus with love. How you worship and adore and spoil Jesus with your love and let your children see that. That's the most loving thing you can do for them. Loving Jesus more than our family is one thing, but but loving Jesus more than myself, man, that's what makes it hard. Verse 38, 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. When Jesus said this, I don't think his disciples had any idea what he was talking about. See, Matthew's foreshadowing. He's, he's, he's building towards something. He's, he's putting something in about the cross that I think is gonna become a big deal later on at the end of the book. See, the cross, it meant one thing. The cross meant death. The only reason a person carried a cross was to die. A cross guarantees death. And the cross only went one way. If you saw somebody on the street carrying a cross, you know this person, they're not coming back. The cross doesn't compromise. The cross doesn't retreat. The cross is a one-way journey from life to death. So far in the book of Matthew, Jesus hasn't been preaching the cross. He's been preaching the message of repentance. Repent. See, repentance is a direction. It is a turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. That at one time, my life was going this way. I was pursuing myself, my own pleasures and passions and pride. I I was going this way, but God got a hold of me. By grace and through faith, he he turned me around, he he renewed, he changed and transformed my mind, and now I'm following Jesus, a complete new and opposite direction. See, the cross is saying you're not looking back. You've repented, you've turned from your sins, you're not looking back to a former life, the gospel is only going forward. See, when doors are slammed shut in your face, Jesus says, move on, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, don't look back. When you are hated and betrayed and persecuted, hey, move on to the next town, don't look back. When you are confronted for following Jesus, for being his disciple, don't deny it, don't give in, don't turn back. When you pick up your cross daily, when you are dying to yourself, betraying yourself, you have repented, that means you are now going in a complete new direction and there's no looking back, there's no rearview mirror, there's no turning from the cross. It takes you from life to death. That's following Jesus. Do you wanna follow Jesus? It means going one way, one direction. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, this is the upside down, inside out reality of the gospel. The word find, this is the same word as as, as the word win. Hey, you wanna win? You've gotta lose your life. You wanna win? You've gotta give up and betray yourself. You wanna win? You've gotta die to yourself, lose your life, for the sake of the gospel. This last thing, this isn't an order. Matthew actually gives us some hope. <laughs> he, he actually takes a turn here and, and gives us some hope. He ends with a promise. The promise is that God rewards the smallest acts. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a, a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Verse 42, and whoever 
Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, who are the little ones? It's not children. The little ones, because he is a disciple. Whoever gives even a cup of cold water to a disciple, truly I say to you, he will be by no means lose his reward. In the Bible, cups were, were made and they weren't, they weren't flat on the bottom, they were actually made rounded on the bottom. So, so you couldn't just put a cups of cold water out on the table. You had to personally hold a cup of cold water and, and give it to somebody else, exchange it, give it to another person. Jesus is saying, I reward this. The smallest acts of kindness, what you pass on to other people, I reward that. That's a reward you cannot lose. Church, I want to pray that we'll be laborers like this. Men and women willing to, to pass on the gospel to other people, willing to come alongside and support and encourage mutual ministry and help other co-laborers, other disciples for the sake of the gospel. The following Jesus, it's a one direction. We're not looking back, we're not turning back. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith and follow him. That's the gospel. And those who endure to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, you call a lot from us. You command and expect a lot from us, God. And your grace is sufficient for this life. Lord, you have conquered, you are victorious, you rule and you reign right now. Jesus, help us. Help us to live out these words. Lord, to die to ourselves, to follow you no matter what. Lord, when everything is pulling our attention away, when everything is, is pressing in and, and, and wanting us to, to look back and to give up and to forsake, Jesus, no. Lord, help us. May your spirit be with us. Lord, may, may your love for us be a driving motivation, your authority be, be a driving conviction. God, that we will follow you. God, that we will give up our lives to follow you. Lord, help us to understand what this looks like and means here in Avon, Indiana. God, these truths apply today. Lord, this stuff is really happening. Jesus, help us. Help us to follow you. Praise in your name. Amen.